So good just to worship the Lord together. Invite our ushers down as we take up the offering this morning. And um, again, we say this other week, but we are so grateful uh, for your generosity, for your giving, um, not just to this church, but just to each other. Um, you know, uh, Jesus said, my, uh, you'll, you'll know my disciples by the way they love one another. And he summed up the law and the prophets and everything. And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. So if you want the simplicity of what it means to be a Christian, it's to love God with everything you got and to love the people around you. And if you do that from a sincere heart, from a genuine place, that is demonstrating God's heart for people, um, which is why we were creating his image. We were creating his image so that we can then love people as he would love them, treat them as we would, as he would treat them, see them as he sees them, to not see the external, but to see the internal. And um, that's really what this whole series is about, actually. We, we've titled it uh, The Radiance of His Glory, um, because we as a church, uh, as people individually and collectively, we want to uh, radiate, we want to, I like to use the word ooze, Jesus. And um, ooze may be one of those words you think of science class or playing with some goop, but it's, man, I want to ooze on people. Jesus, um, I want to ooze goodness and love and joy and truth and clarity. I want to ooze the fruit of the Spirit. I want that to be the thing that people taste, right? If you think of yourself as a, as a fruit tree, they, they want to taste the good fruit, the other day I was cleaning out our kitchen. I found this apple in the stack. We had this basket of apples. And once on the bottom, it was like all rotten. And I was like, how long has that been there? That's not good. We eat a lot of apples, but I guess that one just got missed. And um, as I uncovered the other ones, the ones touching it all had the nasty goop on it. And I was like, I could just wash those off. But I'm like, I don't know really what that goop is but I don't like it. So I just took that apple and all the other goopy ones and just said, see you later, man. I, I just gave up $3, but it's worth it over a stomach bug. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but it rotted. It was like this rotten apple. It's like, ugh, you know? And, but originally when it came off the tree, it wasn't like that. You know what I'm saying? It was like, hey, this looks pretty good, but over time, it got a little rotten. For us, Man, God's heart is that, hey, that we are fruit, that we are trees that are producing the good fruit of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and self-control. And that's what I love about the Scriptures and Jesus, even as we're going through this series, that he is empowering us throughout the Gospels by saying, guess what? I came in the form of a man. I am the Son of God, absolutely. And yet I also came in human form fully, so that I can demonstrate to you and show you the way that you can live in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. You can live righteously. You can radiate in such a way that's giving glory back to God because I'm going to show you how. And it's by submitting to the Father's will. It's by being filled with his Holy Spirit. And it's by obeying the things he's commanded us. And if you will go about it that way, you're going to look a lot like me. So we're going to say, hey, you're like that twin. You're like Jesus' twin. You look like him. You smell like him. You talk like him. That's what we want. 
We want to be people that are so closely connected to Jesus in the way that we live our lives that people are, look at us and they see him, that they see him radiating, that they sense something different that is beyond what they understand, that when everyone else is afraid that we have faith, that when people are um, grit in addiction or something else, that we are free, that we are not of, that we do not represent the worldly way, but we represent the kingdom way. That's a desire in this series. So, so thankful you guys are here. I know it's spring break and we're all the people who didn't go somewhere, right? I know it feels a little awkward. It's kind of like at Christmas. We ever, I tell people, it's funny, our church, um, we go down every holiday. If you've been with us, like Easter, we go down, you know, Christmas, we go down. Uh, Memorial Day, we go down, right? Spring break, we go down. Fourth of July, we go down because we have a very uh, strong college presence. We're proud of that. Um, we also live in Bryan College Station that very much many people are not from here. They, they, we all kind of immigrated here, a lot of us. I know there are some locals in the house and you always make it clear who you are. <clears throat> we know about you already. I was born in Brian, my grandpa in Brian. In fact, my grandpa is Mr. Brian. You know, it's just, it's like, hey, we're all about that. But you are the minority if you were born and raised here, okay? So my kids, I got five of them. They were all born at St. Joseph's Hospital, so they are Brianites, you know, and that's where they're from. Their birth is forever gonna say that, so they are local. My wife and I immigrated here from other places, but we're glad to be here. And so we're glad you guys are here that are here this weekend, and, um, and we do have over 100 college students that are in Arkansas right now. They got there last night. They are uh, at church right now at Antioch, Northwest Arkansas. We planted that church a couple years ago. Mitchell Welch and his wife Beth and their family planted the church there with some other folks, and they're rocking and rolling. They just got a new building uh, that they are leasing, which is so cool. They kind of got kicked out of the hotel, and God provided uh, for them, and they've got a great space, and I got to see it a, a couple months ago when I was up there for a meeting, and so they're meeting there this morning, and they're reaching people for Jesus, and they're hitting up uh, Arkansas's campus uh, tomorrow, and they're going to be sharing the gospel with people, inviting them to life groups Tuesday night, inviting them to a big kind of service uh, night Wednesday night, trying to see people saved, and inviting them into community where they can be loved and cared for and discipled. Uh, so that's what they're doing. So our task for the college students, hey, you got like four days to start little house churches. So that's kind of their goal. So they're pretty amped up and fired up about it. Uh, and I know that we've got lots of people in our church that are all doing sorts of things, beach trips to mission trips to skiing, and we bless them. But we get to be here this morning and be together, which is good. Um, a couple of things I just want to share with you is... Uh, Easter weekend is coming up about one month from now. So if some of you guys think ahead, some of you don't, that's okay. But if you do, we're going to be doing an Easter service here at 10 a.m. It's going to be awesome. I encourage you to dress to the nines. I don't know if you know what that means, but I just have heard it said. It means dress up. So dress up, and uh, I'm going to be going suit and tie, so you can join with me. It's going to be fun. And then we're going to do Easter in the park. We'll give you more details about that later. But we're going to be doing a whole meal and bounce houses and fun games and Easter egg hunt, everything. 
And this would be a great weekend to invite people who don't know Jesus, people who don't like church, people who don't want to go to church. This is a perfect weekend to say, hey, you don't even have to go to church. Why don't you just come to this to this event or we're gonna do an Easter egg hunt and food and hang out, right? And so if they don't wanna come to church, invite them to that. Like we just wanna get around them because we believe we can radiate Jesus and they can see him, whether or not they're sitting in this room or they're hanging out with us at the park or the football doesn't really matter. So my encouragement is invite people and say, come on, man, our church is doing this really cool thing and they should join with us, all right? So it's gonna be Easter weekend and we will have a good Friday service here as well on that weekend. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about one of your favorite topics. You ready? Drum roll. Authority. Oh, the air just went out. It's like those balloons you get for your kids for the birthday, then it's, that's what happened. Some of you guys are like, good, we finally get to talk about this. You know, so we're going to talk about authority, Jesus style, okay, which means Jesus is going to talk about authority we're just going to talk about what Jesus talked about. Sound good? So this isn't really my take on authority. It's Jesus' take. So therefore, if you don't like it, take it up with Jesus. Okay? <laughs> Here we go. Let's talk about the history of authority, though, for a little bit, for some of you history buffs out there. Um, I'm just going to give you a couple of pieces in terms of where the church has been in regards to authority. Now, the early leaders of the church um, were virtually unanimous in viewing the Bible as the primary source of revelation and authority. And the church soon began ascribing authority to its traditions as well as to the scriptures. By the fourth century, okay, let's go back a ways. By the fourth century, uh, the church tradition was viewed as equal now to the authority with the Bible. So it's church tradition is equal in weight to the Bible. The medieval church especially emphasized the church as the sole interpreter of Scripture through its tradition and creeds and councils and Pope, which more or less meant that if you could read Latin at the time or uh, could read things in the original text in Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew, Therefore, you were the one, and if you were designated as a priest or as a bishop or as a pope, you were the only person allowed to interpret the scriptures. You guys were just sitting there and hoping that I was telling the truth. That's how it worked. Well, then the Reformation came along, and it rejected this duality of the authority of the Bible with church tradition, um, claiming solo scriptura, which means only the Bible. And the Reformers argued that all authority... Even that of the church is derived from the Bible itself and valuable only as it is consistent with Scripture. Now, the early Baptist made this view of biblical authority the foundation of their theological beliefs, maintaining that all church doctrine and practice must be entirely consistent with the Bible itself. Now, the Catholic Church responded to the Reformation of Martin Luther and the gang and increase the emphasis on the authority of the church and tradition. So a bit of a battle going on, culminating in its assertion of papal infallibility in all areas of faith and practice in 1870. More or less meaning the Pope was not able to interpret anything incorrectly, and everything they said was the law of the land, period. But... In 1962 through 65, a three, four-year uh, period, 
the Vatican met together and they modified this position by balancing papal authority with that of the bishops and interpreting both authorities in a ministerial context, meaning they backed off a little bit of that, but they still kind of came back to this tradition, the bishops and priests interpretation, and with the weight and equaling that out with the Bible. Now, to bring us in the last point would be here in the 19th century, the movement of liberal Protestantism defined religious authority in yet another way, locating authority in man's reason and experience. The Bible was seen as normative only insofar as it is consistent with reason and someone's personal experience. And people are able to interpret it subjectively. So, this has been a bit of the journey, a quick synopsis of authority as it pertains to the Word of God and even spiritual authority and how we are to act and view authority specifically geared towards this and geared towards the church and its governance and its leaders and its priests and pastors. So <clears throat> I'm going to pause there and just say this. Whenever you look at history, it's good to study history, by the way. Whenever you look at it, you then have to go back and you trace and you connect the dots to modern day 2022. Why do we experience some of the problems we experience or some of the disagreements or disunity, or hurt and pain. Well, you can usually trace it back to certain things in history. But here's what I want to say. Um, God has chosen to entrust people with his message and has entrusted it for thousands of years. And you know what people do? People still sin. People still misinterpret. People make mistakes. People choose power and greed and manipulation and deception, right? At the same time, there are people who have chosen to say, Lord, we're going to surrender our hearts to you. We want you to lead us. We don't want anything to do with the power and all that sort of stuff. We just want to go down the narrow road. We want to find you to be true. What I would argue is that for 2,000 years, since Jesus Christ came and walked in the earth, died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, rose from the grave, resurrected, power, all of that, that there have been people that have been pursuing the narrow way, as Jesus talks about. They've been pursuing God, only you. <laughs> Lord, what does your word say? Spirit of God, lead me. Because Jesus did also say, one day, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Right? It's not just the Bible and how can I read it and interpret it. It is the word of God coupled with the spirit of God to help us to really see the heart of God. Does that make any sense? When you read the Bible, if you only read it historically or someone who's super smart and brilliant and it's just kind of picking it apart and it's like, okay, well, let me ask you a question. Where's the spirit of God in leading and guiding you into the understanding of this truth? And you can usually tell when someone is walking in the spirit and how they're reading the Bible when they're not. Pretty simple. You want to know the tell? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in their life? If they're just real commotion and angry all the time and just like, it's like, well, um, hey, man, you can smile. It's okay. You know? Um, but if people are just going to be like this, that can be, that, that is off. It, it's, it's what the Pharisees tried to do, and they got so deep into it, their hearts got so cold and numb. I don't even believe they started out that way. I don't know. I wasn't there. 
But I believe there's probably sincerity in them to say, we would really find the way. But then he's got down this spiral. You know what I'm saying? It's like what happened during COVID. It's like you had some thoughts and opinions and you just kind of went down this like this news story blog cycle spiral and you just got like this and your view just got so narrow and then you finally woke up one day and people were like slapping around. And you're like, what are you? Man, I've been crazy. Yes, what is wrong with you? Like you've gone down this little hole of whatever and, and we can't do that. We have to be people that are willing to live in community and hear each other out and say, Spirit of God, lead us. But we also know the Spirit of God doesn't want to, is not going to contradict the Word of God, but it doesn't mean that we have full understanding. Does that make sense? Remember, there are mysteries we know not of. We are simply humans. And there's not one of us in this room that is smarter than our forefathers and mothers have gone before us who have studied and spent their whole life in things, okay? Like, we just know a little bit. But here's what I'll tell you. At this church, we're just trying to simply obey what we know. Just like I asked my children. I don't want my children to know everything. Just what do you know? What is true? And let's apply that. I'm not asking you to be a scholar. I'm asking you to be obedient. Jesus wasn't asking his disciples to be scholars. He's asking them to be obedient. Remember that. What changes the world is obedience and, and, and servant hearts and love and that's what we're going to talk about today when we talk about authority, all right? So let's, now that we can understand a little bit of what's happened with the church and the Bible, all that sort of stuff, I think you can parallel it to what Jesus is about to tell us in regards to authority, all right? So I'm just going to look at some different passages today to hopefully help us understand um, what Jesus wants us to know and how we relate to authority, not just with a word, but I think to people interactions we have because it is a confusing and it has been a hurtful topic. There's not one person in this room that has probably had a bad experience with an authority in your life and who's also had a good experience with authority in your life, right? And I would say the same for when you've been in authority, you've probably done it well and done it poorly, right? So we can all say guilty, right? Like we've all actually messed up at times, right? I have coached a little soccer team and made the wrong decisions and we lost the game. And that's on coach. Okay, so yes, I was an authority over the little seven-year-old soccer team, and we lost. It's not the end of the world, but I was still an authority and missed it. I've also made great decisions. We won the game. So I will take both, okay? All right, so let's talk about authority. Here we go. So we're going to look at demonstrated authority, all right? We're going to look at demonstrated, then we'll look at delegated authority in just a few minutes. Demonstrated authority, and how did Jesus kind of really um, uh, apply this, right? So the authority of Jesus is displayed in teaching the scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 through 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let me read that again. He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, Matthew 7, 20, 29, this is at the conclusion of the famous Jesus Sermon on the Mount, which we unpacked last fall. So he gives this chapter, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 sermon. He's there teaching about so many different things. It's this beautiful message. It's incredible. People are listening from all around. And unlike the teachers that people had known, he gets to the heart of what godliness and spirit spirituality really consists of. You see, they may have stuck to the, to the laws and the traditions, 
But Jesus came and he unpacked it and he ripped the veil off, so to speak, of everybody to say, oh, he would say things like, you've heard it, it was said, but I say unto you. He was revealing to them the deeper meaning and the heart behind everything they had known before. The authority on display is not derived from what was common at the time, right? So when he says he was teaching, uh, teaching them was one who had authority and now as scribes, here's, here's what that means. Um, people back then, what they knew is they would say things like, hey, Rabbi so-and-so said this. Rabbi so-and-so said that. Because the rabbis were the teachers, the scribes and the others, they were the teachers in the synagogues in the area, and they were the ones who had the authority. Or rabbi wrote this, and so they would really lean into how did they interpret things from the Torah, from the law, how did they interpret things for how they're supposed to live. But the authority Jesus carried, it wasn't from that. It wasn't from rabbi so-and-so. The authority he carried was very different. And it wasn't based on him studying a lot, although he knew the scriptures. It was a spiritual understanding that came from God. I would argue that when he was baptized in Jordan River, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, when he was then whisked out to the wilderness, as we talked about, and that battle he had with the, with the devil in that 40 days of fasting, coming back, but prior to that, as a young child, being by the synagogue, learning, listening, but he walked in authority. He walked in relationship with his father. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he came back, and when he steps on the scene and he starts teaching these things, it is from like a different world, and that's what he's trying to say. What I am, this is a different kingdom. This is not the wisdom of man. This is not what you've heard before. It is, it is other than. It is out of this world, right? It's almost alien how he was teaching and sharing things. It was just confounding people. They just could not believe it. What he was doing, the way he was acting and treating people was so other. You were not allowed to touch sick people. It was wrong. It was sin. It would make you unclean. It was, you don't do that. And here he is like touching them, high-fiving and just like, what are you doing, Jesus? You were not allowed to eat with known sinners. Tax collectors and adulterers, you couldn't, and he's like having tea with him. It's like, what is going on? This guy, ugh. and then he gets into, we'll get into a minute, he starts doing things, they're like, where's this coming from? There's no way any man has this kind of authority. And he's saying, you know what? Man of himself doesn't. But what's different about Jesus? The spirit of God is on him. It's not just that he's the son of God. He is walking with the Spirit of God, with an authority and discernment and understanding that they did not know. So Jesus is teaching with authority that comes beyond nice-sounding words, but it was the Spirit of God getting to the heart of the people. The authority of Jesus is displayed not just in teaching the Scriptures, but in forgiving sins. Luke chapter 5. Verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what, uh, what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. Yeah. We've read that before, but man, 
And, and I mean, the scene, it would, I would love for it to happen just right here. Just come on. Like, it's, I mean, his buddies came and they literally are, they had the faith to take a paralyzed man to go to this house. I know they don't have the shingles and the metal roof and everything. It was different, okay? But they were able to somehow carve out or remove spaces to lower him down into this little house, into this living room. And their faith, their friend's faith said, hey, we believe Jesus can do something about this. But they approached the situation thinking Jesus can get him to walk and heal him. I do not think they approached it thinking he will forgive their sins. I don't think that was in the cards. I mean, the friends were like, our friend is sick. He is paralyzed. He has no hope. But we've heard about this Jesus. Maybe he can give him hope. So they show up. They lower him down. And Jesus makes it clear (laughs) that it is way more difficult and impressive to forgive sins. But because that is so otherworldly, that's an authority you do not know, you've never experienced before, and this is new, but what you have seen and what you can actually relate to in this moment, because you can't see the forgiveness of sins like coming off him, you can't physically see that. There's not like vapors emerging where it's like, oh, there it goes, there, oh, there it goes. That'd be cool, actually. You know, if you could like, I don't know, with some sort of food coloring, to see the sins coming off of people, that'd be powerful. Be like, boom, it's just cool. That'd be awesome. Maybe that could happen one day. I don't know how that all looks. Maybe heaven can see that. I'm not sure. But what they can't see is a guy paralyzed, getting up and walking and clicking his heels and taking his mat and saying, I'm out of here. But Jesus was trying to make the point, it's not about him being healed. Because the paralyzed man who is healed, unsaved, will still be in hell one day. Remember that. The blind guy who's blind today and gets miracle, oh, that's awesome. But if his soul is not recovered and saved and restored with God, then when the blind man dies years later, he will not be with God in heaven. He will be separated forever. So Jesus is so clear in his authority. He came to preach the kingdom, to demonstrate the kingdom, to say the kingdom of God has come near to you. And his authority was to actually forgive sins. That's what we see. Jesus came to show us that. There's an awe and a wonder, by the way, when we see the power of God. But years ago, someone said, man, you know, that the awe and wonder that we see and that we get excited about and are stirred, and we should be rightfully so, it should point us back to him, not just in the sign of the wonder, but it's to point us back to the one who's given it. Jesus also shows authority in commanding demonic spirits to leave. Luke chapter four, verse 33 through 36. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. I mean, listen, if you're walking around at this day and age, back then, you just have never seen anything like it. I mean, people probably called him a wizard. I don't know what they thought about him. I mean, just 
This is, this is beyond. This is supernatural. Paralyzed guy being healed. People being healed. Water turned into wine. Demons fleeing. And just so you know, they were keenly aware of demonic spirits because they actually had interacted with them before. That's what I want you to see here. I know in America, you know, we kind of are like, I don't know if that's real, you know, and that's fine. Believe it or not, believe. I'll just tell you, it's absolutely real. They've been around for a long time and they terrorize people all over the planet. And if you don't think it's real, then I can send you to a few countries and you'll know in 24 hours it's real. There are places you can experience the witchcraft and the wickedness uh, in this world. And there's places in our own country you can experience it if you really want to, if you want to step into that. But it's real and it is demonic and it is grotesque. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and put those guys back where they, I mean, that is the heart. And I want you to know something. As a believer, as someone who's walks with Jesus and you're filled with his Holy Spirit, you have nothing to fear. But the devil wants us to be afraid. That's his whole goal, you know? Be afraid. God won't protect you. There's no real power. What you believe in is a bunch of made-up stories. Don't believe that stuff. Just do it your own way. Do it by yourself. That is the mentality. But to walk in this kind of authority requires us to be surrendered. It requires us to receive from him. Jesus had authority, and they are thinking... He had authority and power to command unclean spirits, and they come out. They had seen unclean spirits terrorize people and villages and hurt themselves and cut themselves and be crazy. I mean, anything you can imagine, they had experienced it. And they're like, what do you do to that person? Like, lock him up, run away, send him out. But Jesus said, I'm not afraid of them. The demonically possessed people, bring him here. And you know what's interesting is, I don't want us to miss this. Jesus walked in authority and even the demons recognize it. Because what does he say? What have you to do with us? Which means there is multiple demonic spirits upon this person. Jesus of Nazareth. They understand the power and the anointing. They know exactly who he is. They are fully aware he's the son of God. Even everyone in the thing watching has no idea. Isn't that weird? The demons actually know he's the son of God and everyone else is trying to be convinced of it. It just kind of makes you think for a second. But Jesus walks in authority and he tells them, be gone. And they even left without harming the man. That's authority. But I want you to know, it's not just Jesus casting out demons. It's not just Jesus laying hands on the sick and then being healed. It is increasing in our world. You may or may not experience it. People are being healed supernaturally. The demons are fleeing. People are being restored in their faith and understanding there is a power that we are here to walk in that is a servant power. It is a surrendered one. I want you to be clear. Christianity, our leader, leads by serving. That's the whole point. His whole way, this whole series, (laughs) how do we radiate radiate like him? It's to be like him and it's to do it like him. It's not to do it for our own advantage, for our own anything else. It's simply to serve. 
If we are ever going to help someone, it has to be with the spirit and the heart to say, I'm here to help you, not asking for anything in return. If we are looking for a two-way street as I'll help you as long as you help me, that's not kingdom. That's worldly, that's okay, but that's not what we're doing. Like what we are doing is I will wash your feet even if you never wash mine. I will give you some money to help you out even if you never give me any money back. I will love you as my enemy even though you remain my enemy. Now that is different. That is different, y'all. That's the kind of authority Jesus walked in. Walked in. Now I want to shift gears here for a minute. So that's the authority that Jesus demonstrated. Just a few examples. But he also did delegate authority, which again, kind of connects the dots back to us for you to be encouraged, all right? So it wasn't just Jesus. And we read this like, man, that Jesus is so awesome. Cool. Man, I wish you could have been back then. Golly. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. You can do it now. The greater things. Now, now. At this church, just so you know, demons have been cast out in this building. It's awkward. It's weird. Freaks a lot of people out. But we've ministered to people in that back corner, that corner. Um, and all that I want to say is that, hey, you walk with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to be afraid of. You walk surrendered to Jesus, bring it on. Bring it on, darkness. Because life or death, it doesn't make us afraid. I, I've shared it before, but I'll share it again. Just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That should be our calling card. Lord will save us. He will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down. I'm not going to yield. I will be faithful to my God in the end because I'm looking for an eternal relationship, not just a temporal. Temporal says do what's necessary just to survive the next day. Eternal says I will do what is right in the eyes of my God. I will obey him and honor him all the days of my life. Come life or death, bring it. That has to be the resolve that believers have around the world that we have is resolved to know nothing but Christ Jesus, him alone, and he is it. So let's talk about delegated authority here for a few minutes. We'll wrap it up, all right? So I think you know this already, but we're just gonna go over it anyways, right? I'm gonna share one example. In Luke chapter nine, how Jesus gave his disciples authority. He uh, says in verse one, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So right there, there's just a case for went beyond Jesus He intentionally delegated authority and power to the disciples, okay? And just in case some of you guys think, hey, I studied the scriptures and it stopped with the 12. Like, no one else had anything beyond the 12. If you're like that, it's fine, we love you. But remember, in Matthew 28, Jesus then also said, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. So then he says, hey, I gave you authority. Now I'm gonna give you guys authority to go give other people authority and make disciples there. And here we are 2,000 later because they decided to make disciples and others made disciples. And now we are here with hundreds of millions of people on the planet who have now followed Jesus because those 12 and others said, yeah, we're in. We're in. We're gonna baptize. We're gonna teach. Some are gonna fall away. Some are gonna stay true. I don't know what's gonna happen, but we're gonna keep going. And so that delegated authority here in Luke 9 has been passed on for generations. We get to benefit it now. So I want you to be encouraged. You have that authority in Christ Jesus, not in your own strength, but in him. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. 
And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, take off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And we'll get into this later, but hey, taking Luke 9 trips, wild adventure. If you've ever done one or people have done one, some of our ADS class over the years, different churches have done them, it's wild. It's like, hey man, we're serious. Now, if you go across countries, you've got to take at least a passport because you can't get in, okay? But if you stay in America, you can do it. And just say, Lord, in faith, here we go. We're going to go for it. And, and we're going to trust God. But I want you to see that he's delegated the authority to the disciples to go proclaim the kingdom, just as Jesus was doing, to go and heal the sick. And it wasn't just over a few diseases. He is giving them authority over all these diseases. I want us to see that. He's just common people that are like, hey, we followed you, Jesus, and so we're in now. So he's delegated authority through the Great Commission and there in Luke 9. And lastly, what I want to share about is just, you know, as we talk about radiating God's glory, as we talk about becoming a church more and more that is, that is able to look like him and to smell like him, to be like Jesus, I, I, I want you to know that when we talk about, okay, he demonstrated authority, right? And we can learn from that, how he approached that. And he's delegated us authority to do just as he has done. But the heart behind all of that is a submitted heart to authority. There is a surrender and a submission that must be there or else I don't believe you'll be able to walk in that power and authority that God wants to give you. And if you do, it'll get real weird real fast and real hurtful. And unfortunately, that happens. That has happened. That happens today. That's happened throughout history where people have taken the authority God has given them and their character's gotten out of whack or their private life's been a double standard, or they decided to build this own empire around themselves and, and kind of the authority they walk in. And it gets real weird. And I just don't see that anywhere in the scriptures that God is saying, yeah, that should be your goal. If you get raised up, if you get empowered, you get to see the table, be blessed by it, but never let it get to your head and always stay in a surrendered attitude. Yeah. Does it make any sense? Like, that's gotta be our approach. I'm not saying... Don't aspire to make an impact in the world. What I am saying is that stand the narrow way and when God opens doors for you, you consider those doors prayerfully and you walk through them. But even when you get to that door, you get to that table, you still say, I'm here as a servant, period. Not, now I'm here to lord it over them, right? <clears throat> so submitting authority. John five nineteen. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus gives us the model for our approach when it comes to decisions and doing things in this world. Do as the father is doing. I'm not saying we can always see what he's doing, but we are meant to press in and to ask him and to lean in. And even Jesus, who could have done whatever he wanted to, he chose to live in a way that was submitted to the Father's way, his will. Lord, your will, not my will, be done. That is the heart attitude. It has to be him first. God, I want to submit to you, surrender to you, Lord. What are you saying? God, I know it seems like a great job opportunity. I don't know, Lord. What are you saying about it? God, guide me. God, I know the situation, whatever it is, but Lord, guide me, lead me. Let me submit to your way. 
Do I go right or do I go left? Do I stay or do I move? What do I do? Lord, let me submit it to you. Instead of us thinking we know, let's ask him and surrender to him. And the last piece about submitting and surrendering is simply um, what Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 25 and 28, which I think does sum up the heart attitude. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm gonna go invite the band up. And um, as we close this morning, I just wanna read these verses again because even as I was preparing this week, reading over them again, it just reminded me of the days we live in. And I think we're all aware of what's happening in Ukraine right now and what's happening in, across Europe. And you have the Russian people and you have the Ukrainian people and you have people in Poland and Moldova and Belarus and all these nations that maybe we weren't looking up news stories about six weeks ago. And now it's front page everywhere. And the reality is, is Jesus just said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. There's so many people on the planet right now in different nations from North Korea to other countries where they're people and authority are ruling over them and they just want to have power. And you know what also happens in our country, right? There's people in our country, whether they're the CEO of a company or a politician or a military leader or a coach of a sports team or whatever, any kind of leadership or authority that someone has, however they got there, it doesn't matter what it is, but the heart of a believer is when you're in authority, you use it in such a way to serve those you are over not to lord it over them. It is very different. It is totally kingdom. It is otherworldly. And right now, our world has some crazy things happening. There is war happening. There is stuff happening in our world. And I would argue that a big part of it has to do with the fact that people who are in authority are using it to oppress and lord it over and build themselves up. It is sin at its core. But for us, you may not be the president of a nation, or of a company, but whatever authority you have in your life, whatever opportunities you have, it is meant to serve people. And that should be in us for the rest of our days. That my job as a senior pastor, as long as I'm a senior pastor, or if I'm a soccer coach or a baseball coach or whatever, some committee, whatever position I'm in, I've got to be thinking, Lord, I am here for a reason. How can I serve the people that I am over making decisions for? I want to do it in a submitted heart and a way I will make mistakes, but Lord, let it not be of me that I do things that are for my own self-advantage, that are for my own power grab, my own thing. Let it not be of me, Lord. I have a holy fear before God that in the end, I'm giving an account to him more than anyone else, and he sees right through all of it. There is nothing to hide. I could probably trick you just like you could trick me, but I can't trick him. And so you have to live with a holy, reverent fear of saying, God, when you give me a place of authority, oh Lord, let me use this in a way that is gonna serve you, honor you, and serve the people. Because that is your heart. 
That is how the church radiates the glory of God. Is when we have an opportunity, we go in serving and we go in low. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want us to stand this morning as we close. This morning, I just want us just to take time. Um, just between you and the Lord right now. And I, I want you to think of, I want you to think of a place that God has put you in authority. It may be you're a leader in your school. It may be just your house that you're renting or you own a home and God's given you authority over that place. It may be a business, maybe something politically. It may be, I don't know what it is. Maybe your family. But wherever God has positioned you, I just want us to close our eyes and take a moment. And I, I just want to, I want us to ask God to give us a servant's heart again in that place of authority we would only use it to serve him and others, not ourselves. So let's just take a moment here and we'll go into worship here in a second. And, but just to be honest with God. And you know what? Some of us, we've gotten out of line, right? We maybe have gone ahead of ourselves a little bit or forgotten our place. But ultimately, we want to honor the Lord and serve other people. So what I pray, that would be the case for us. Just, Lord, whatever you're highlighting for each of us right now, if there's a place we need to repent of or to get fresh vision for, or if you just want to correct something, God, or even just affirm something in us that says, hey, you're doing well. Like, you do have the right spirit, the right heart. Amen. I don't know what it is for us. But I, I don't want us to be afraid of being in a place of authority. And I don't want us to be afraid of it. But to have the right understanding when we are in it and when we are submitted to it. And we know that Jesus Christ, he wants to give us an increasing of authority over the darkness of this world, to destroy the works of the devil, to proclaim the good news, to love our neighbor, to serve the next person in front of us, to, to make a difference in this world that's gonna demonstrate the worship and the glory back to God. That's what we want. So Lord, you do it in us. Highlight any place that just needs to change and any thinking that's off. And we trust you in Jesus' name.